Good evening. Tonight's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. You may be familiar with this passage and you may have heard it um, taught on several times as I have. Um, One thing I notice when someone teaches on this is they really rush to the good part, the healing part. And uh, that's the important part, no doubt. But I think um, if we slow down just a little bit tonight and look at exactly what this woman was being healed from, um, we might have something to learn. So we know that life is full of cycles. Cycles are woven into the earth. We have uh, the moon cycles and the ebb and flow of the tides. We have um, the rotation of the earth and the seasons. Um, Women also go through a monthly process of the anticipation of life and then the grief of death. The feminine is very in tune with these ebbs and flows in nature because we, with some exceptions, also experience these ebbs and flows every 28 days or so. The feminine cyclical nature is an inclination towards life, not violence or death. We have this beautiful natural propensity to protect life, to guard it, and to nurture it. And so through this life-death-life cycle, a woman is capable of creating, birthing, and sustaining life. The nature of this woman's wound is found at the core of her physical femininity, Her body was stuck in a stage of perpetual death. This hemorrhaging is an absolute outflow of wasted energy. She goes to sleep exhausted. She wakes up exhausted. That blood that was meant to be recirculated and give her life is being lost. And not just for a day or a week, but for 12 years It leaves her depleted, exhausted, and lifeless. Life, death, life cycles are experienced in many ways in our physical, spiritual, and emotional lives. And women, we innately know that there must be death before life. And death and the natural passage, the ebb and flow of of life, there's nothing to fear about it. In fact, it's necessary for life to come about. The trouble comes when we get stuck 
in the stage of death, maybe because we've been drugged into someone else's rhythm, our masculine culture resists the ebb and flow of the feminine, valuing progress through consistency and predictability. And when you get stuck in a stage of death, your starved and restricted soul lacks vision. It lacks innovation and the impulse to create. The seasons of womanhood are chock full of life, death, life cycles. And one such season is motherhood, the one I am in currently. Our deeply rooted identity as mothers often resists the next stage. Our children grow. They no longer need us they, the ways they used to. And so there's this fear of not being needed any longer. And our fear of moving on, on into a new stage of maybe finds ways to create that need of being needed because this is where we feel most affirmed and most valued and most accepted in our culture. And we know there are no shortage of needs and demands to be, to be met. And so this gives us ample opportunity as women to stay in this stage where we feel valued and accepted. Do you sacrifice your ideas in creativity? Do you dim your light or do you sap your energy resources to endlessly meet the needs and demands of others? Do you find yourself continually picking up the slack, being known as the responsible one and carrying the emotional and mental load What stage of death is being perpetuated in your life? I encourage you to name it for it to begin to heal. Because the longer we stay stay in any stage of perpetual death, the more it costs us. The more we become depleted of our ideas and creativity and vitality. Let's take a little bit closer look at her wound. Sometimes life-sucking wounds are perceptible, but more often than not, they are invisible. It's important to understand that this woman's issue of blood wasn't necessarily visible to those around her. If you saw her sitting there, you wouldn't know she was bleeding. Women are really, really fantastic at developing and maintaining impeccable personas, what we put out there for the world to see to make it appear that we are handling it all well and fine. The expectations are incredibly high, and falling apart is never pretty. So we pretend. We take the best photos of our friends and family, vacations. We edit and filter them, produce them to the world. We inflate our egos through gossiping or shaming other women. We speak with emotionless, empty platitudes. We compensate for our diminished life by strategically choosing our connections, our playdates, our invite lists. Sometimes we are so good at developing our persona that we deceive ourselves. One way we do this is by disconnecting our body and our soul. By burning the candle at both ends, we numb the pain of our hemorrhaging wound. And in doing so, we believe that we have somehow 
derived more spiritual credit for our martyrdom. Shame shrouded her condition. It was very private, very close to the heart, not something you would talk about in public. And wounds can be very embarrassing. They make you feel very alone. Um, They make you feel like you tried everything, yet nothing is helping. It's a hopeless place to be. You want to be saved from the death that you're stuck in, yet you're still there. You're still bleeding, and all you want is a moment of hope. This physical manifestation of blood that we see here is just one example of many wounds that we experience in life. Chronic illness, loneliness, infertility, depression, all can be very shameful and isolating. I met a dear friend a year and a half ago. She is um, magnetic, always smiling, incredibly fit. She has a fulfilling career, a happy marriage. You just want to be around her, like fun follows her around. And when I met her, she had her first baby, a nine-month-old baby girl, and she seemed to have it all together. After knowing her for about six months, um, she was in my living room one night and completely broke down crying, explaining how when she was first pregnant, she began to feel depressed. She had never fought depression before, and she felt very scared. So at 1 a.m. one morning, she just sent out an email to her closest friends and her sisters saying, I need help. Check on me. Walk with me. And out of the 11 people she emailed, the lifeline she thought she had, one person responded by calling her daily. Silence from the other 10. Her cry was unacknowledged. It was unheard. And her experience is far too common. We see in verse 26 that this woman experienced the same thing. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Something that wants to live begs for it. And we see that she has searched out an answer, but her begging and searching go unheard. She has looked for answers, but instead she grows worse. This makes me think of empty remedies that our world has to offer. We know what she doesn't need. She doesn't need more pity She doesn't need mere comfort. She doesn't need another distraction to numb her pain. Nor does she need a plan or another pep talk. What she must have is nurturing, healing love. I would challenge you to do a self-examination on your own soul. It takes setting aside these personas that we've created. Set that aside. Make yourself vulnerable to locate the hemorrhaging wound in your soul. Where do you feel mourning or angst? Where do you feel numb or disconnected? Is there a longing growing inside of you? Where do you feel unheard or ashamed? Where is the blood pouring out, the life-giving energy being lost and leaving you depleted? It cost us what we were not meant to pay. That sounds pretty hopeless. But the next verse says, When she heard about Jesus, those five words began her healing 
She had heard the testimonies of Jesus' healing, and it sparked hope. It's in the strength of telling our stories of redemption and healing that we give hope to others also in search of healing. And her hope, he, hope of healing moves her in great faith towards Jesus. It's a faith that overcomes risks and obstacles in her way. The crowd of people surrounding Jesus is just a physical representation of the many obstacles this woman faced. She lived in a very masculine world that dominated every single aspect of her culture, top to bottom, from the way she was expected to move through life, to work and worship. And the core of this woman's physical femininity had gone awry. It was haywire. And it failed her in a time and place in history where she wasn't valued much more than what she could physically produce. Her culture placed restrictions on her and then doled out punishments for things that were out of her control. She is rendered perpetually unclean, shut off from worshiping God. She is isolated. She is viewed as a threat in a situation with very few options, and she is financially ruined. And this hostile environment within where she lived did not serve to deepen, support, or guide this woman. It just served to decimate. So she must move. She must act. She must risk and make herself even more vulnerable to the society around her. And so we see with great faith and courage, Mixed with fear, she comes up behind Jesus. The risk is incredibly high, and the obstacles in her way are numerous, but her faith is greater than her situation. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped. She touches his garment and feels within her immediately that she has been healed. The hemorrhage stopped. The once life draining blood flowing out of her, is now transformed into the life-giving circulation again. What does healing look like for us right now, today? I think that healing, the nature of healing, depends on the nature of the wound. But we do have a clue of what healing gives. It gives freedom. It says in verse 29 that she was freed from her suffering. Freed from her suffering. She was, when a woman experiences the healing power of Jesus, she is free. She is free to exist and function in her culture, her religion, and her home with wonder, vision, and peace. She is free from anxiety. She is free to live in the natural ebb and flow of her feminine nature. She is free to create. She is free to ask questions and search for answers. She is free to speak. She is free to write. She is free to work, play, and rest guilt-free. She is free to leave her fingerprints on the things she touches and her footprints where she walks. What does it look like for the church to be the garment of Christ It says in verse 30, at once Jesus realized the power went out of him. As the body of Christ, where can we stop their hemorrhaging and recirculate the blood into life-giving freedom? 
it costs Jesus power, and I think we can also expect us to pay the same price. It will cost us something if we are ever really ready to serve others. And it all comes down to our attitude towards others. If we are defensive, if we are superior, contemptuous, if we are dismissive, we will never be able to help someone else. Jesus, in his great love and compassion towards this woman, was prepared to pay the price, and it was in the outgoing of his very life. Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Here we go. And be freed from your suffering. I love that phrase. Death and man's aversion to it, aversion to it is universal. Yet Jesus is not repulsed by her. He is not fearful of her condition. He is not threatened by her. Instead, he models great sensitivity to her situation. And he models also great persistence in, in moving towards her and looking for her. Even the broken, wounded, feminine, he moves towards with great persistence. And he blesses her publicly and affirms her faith. How often do we utterly fail to realize what others are going through simply because we have no experience of something? Because it's easy for us or because we don't have the ability to step in their shoes and walk a mile. It takes imaginative insight and spirit-given sensitivity to see into the hearts of others, to see where they are broken and where they need healing. My own healing is far from being complete. And I'll be honest, I want it to be instantaneous, just like this woman. I want to touch the garment of Jesus, and I want it to no longer feel inadequate, no anxiety and no fear. And I do believe that Jesus can touch people and heal them instantaneous if he so chooses. But I have found that my healing is more like a journey. It's a journey that keeps calling me to higher faith and deeper vulnerability. The healing process began here at All Souls because of women like Suzanne and Mary who invited me to safe spaces to meet Jesus. They listened patiently without judgment. They prayed with great faith. And they kept calling me back to these places even when I thought I had great excuses not to. They were persistent, just like Jesus, searching for me, calling me, moving towards me. And it also came from men in this church who affirmed my season of motherhood while reminding me and encouraging me and inviting me to use my gift in the church. Just like Jesus, they affirmed me, affirmed my faith publicly. Both men and women in our church body have respected that we are so different, yet our differences are so valuable Even with our strengths, we have great weaknesses, and we are not whole until we come together. The masculine and the feminine are meant to work together, to beautifully balance each other. And when they do so in the body of Christ, they have the power to redeem, restore, and give life. Thank you, Paige. Well, as I was looking at this text this week, just a couple of things stood out to me. 
you know, we're, we're, we're looking at this passage uh, primarily from the vantage point of, of Jesus and women. Um, but first and foremost, it, it is a, a healing story. It's a story about Jesus supernaturally healing this woman as she touched her garment. And although we're not going to dwell on that fully tonight, I really think that there may be some opportunities to pray for the sick tonight as we end our service. And uh, the next healing service is not this Monday, two, two Mondays, two, a week from Monday night. So uh, I want you to, uh, there's some great things are going on in that service. Uh, it's Monday night, a week from Monday night at 6.30, so put that down. But also tonight, if something's going on in you about physical healing, please come up during the Eucharist and uh, let's, let's uh, have some peaks pray for you. You know, a lot of times these uh, beautiful Bible stories can also illustrate for us spiritual principles or they can be illustrations of spiritual truths. And so as, as I thought about this woman and, uh, and her, her ailment, her situation, I just thought about how she could be a picture of what a, a lot of women may be experiencing spiritually. And a, a friend of mine came in uh, some time ago and uh, asked me to help her interpret a dream. And whenever I share a dream with you, I've asked for permission and I've edited it. So not to let anyone let you know who it was. And this is what part of the dream said. She said, a shard of a tooth with my gum falls out. I tell my dad I have to go to the dentist right now, but I don't have a dentist. My teeth are crumbling. I look in the mirror. It is really bad. My whole face is black and blue. I'm bald. I have no ears. How did I get here? It's because I'm not taking care of myself. And as we worked on the dream and asked the Holy Spirit to help us uh, interpret it, it seemed that the teeth represented her capacity to chew food and then therefore bring nourishment into her, her inner life, her soul. And that she was at a point in her life where she wasn't really able to nourish herself and so everything was falling out. And she was a lot like this woman, but in a spiritual sense. Uh, I met a, I was reading a book where uh, the author was talking about women that she worked with who were disconnected from their souls. And she asked, what are the symptoms of this kind of a life? And she says, using women's language exclusively, these symptoms are feeling extraordinary dry, fatigued, frail, depressed, confused, gagged, muzzled, unaroused, feeling frightened, weak, without inspiration, without animation, without soulfulness, without meaning, shame-bearing, chronically fuming, volatile, stuck, uncreative, compressed, crazed, feeling powerless, chronically doubtful, shaky, blocked, unable to follow through, giving one's creative life over to others, life-sapping choices in mate's work or friendship, suffering to live outside of one's own cycles, overprotective of self, inert, uncertain, faltering, inability to pace oneself or set limits. So I think this woman uh, is a picture of uh, maybe where you are tonight or, or where a number of women that I've talked with this past year find themselves. They're hemorrhaging, but in a, 
spiritual sense. And that, that sentence about the physicians not being able to help her is kind of an odd one. I've always wondered why it was was in there, but I, I think it, it wasn't intended to slam the medical profession. I think it was just saying that the normal means of care that they understood weren't helping her. And, and I started to think for a minute about, okay, let, let's take this as an illustration of a spiritual truth. Could it also be true that spiritual physicians have tried to help women heal and become whole but even though they're well-intentioned, sometimes the counsel that they're offering hurts the woman instead of heals her. And I began to ask, well, what, what kind of uh, counsel you know, maybe have I offered or have other women received in spiritual environments that was well-intentioned but actually wound up keeping them from healing? I remembered a situation that I've shared with you before, but earlier in our marriage, Sandy and I came out and uh, to Knoxville in 1987, and uh, I'd raised a little bit of support to plant a church. We had about $1,000 a month, and the community we were in, filled with very godly people who we love very dearly, said, you know, we think that uh, the man's role is to provide. It's not right for a woman to work. We think you're setting a bad example if she works, so uh, she shouldn't work, and so for the first number of months, we, we lived off $1,000 a year, which even in 1987 wasn't very much, and it created a lot of stress. And it also kind of opened up something in our marriage that wasn't very healthy, and that was uh, we began to kind of look to the norms of the community around us, the counsel of the spiritual physicians around us for what a godly man and godly woman look like, rather than asking, Jesus, what do you want our marriage to look like? And it really hurt us, and it really, really did did damage. Um, this just happens so so easily. It just happens so easily. This idea that a godly woman looks like this, a godly man looks like this, and you know, as we talk with different folks in the congregation about shame, so often the shame seems to be related to this this idea that a godly woman always looks like this. A godly man always looks like that. And if I'm not that way, which I happen to not be in many ways, it easily can lead to shame. So uh, I think this is, a, this is a real challenge for us. It's humbling and how easy it is, I think, to maybe miss this or to think that you're giving good counsel when you're really not, perhaps, or to think that you've received good counsel when maybe you haven't, perhaps, um, young woman told me once she was lovely, many children seemed like a great marriage and, and she just left it all. And, and I asked her, you know, what, what's going on? It just made no sense to me. And, and she said, I was a part of a community that said the first thing you do when you're 18, 19 years old is you get married and you have as many kids as you possibly can and you submit to your husband and that's God's dream for you. And I woke up one day and I said, she used an expletive, I don't want that life. I didn't choose it. I'm out of here. Now, would I counsel her that way? No, but what I'm saying is if you really get into trouble when instead of finding out what God really wants for you, spiritual physicians counsel you in ways that aren't really healthy or wise and lead to your wounding. Uh, this morning, you know, we're doing the Sunday school class. It's been, uh, we've had two now. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's nine o'clock at the Regus building. And uh, for the first six weeks, Paige and I are doing this series, the same one at night. Then we're going to switch, and there'll be different teachers in the morning. But I, ha- I had this great question. I broke them into groups, and I said, why don't you share 
Uh, if there's any way, ladies, that a spiritual physician has given you counsel that hurt you instead of helped you, why don't you share? And so I got onto my group, and I thought, this is going to be fun. You know, I'm going to listen. And this uh, dear young woman said, uh, well, actually, <clears throat> Doug, it was something you told me. <laughs> so kind of went down from there. But it was a good... Uh, it just showed me that, that how easy it is to, to get this mixed up. Well, the other thing that, that, that stood out to me, and, and Paige has done such a great job of opening up the text, but this idea of touching his garment, that's just such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I think we have to ask, what does it look like to touch the garment of Christ and bring healing? And again, healing prayer is one of the ways, and that's why I really think tonight we should offer some healing prayer. That's how the church touches the garment of Christ is through healing prayer and his power flows when we do. But the thing that, that, I, that I noticed this week as I was looking at this text is how much effort the woman had to go through to ask for healing. Whether that story is accurate or not, I don't know, but it was something like that. And clearly this woman who was very physically troubled had to press her way through the crowd to get to Jesus and, and grab and, and sort of look to him for healing. And I think there's a principle there, especially as we talk about uh, a, ble- a bleeding woman looking for healing, uh, and, it, and it's just that you, you have to ask for it. You have to be vulnerable. You have to open up. Um, another woman came in, shared a dream, and uh, she, she's in a McDonald's, and there's French fries all over the place. And dreams are weird. Dreams are just weird. But so, so McDonald's comes up a lot for some reason. So uh, I say, what do you think of when you think of McDonald's? She says, I hate McDonald's. She went on this rant. She just hates everything about McDonald's. And then, but in the dream, somebody, uh, she's got her kids at McDonald's and she's shoving French fries in her mouth. And, and this woman, actually one of the women in the church here comes up and uh, sits down with this gorgeous salad and says, here, let me give you this salad. And she says, no, that's the end of the dream. And as we prayed about it and worked it out, essentially what was going on was God was saying, look, I've put people in your life who can help you quit shoving french fries in your mouth. Um, Ask for help, please. That's where you're going to find it. Now, like like Paige asked, I've been thinking, well, what does this look like in the body of Christ? What does it look like for us to be a community where we help one another touch the garment so that the healing power of Christ can flow into our lives. That's a whole sermon series in itself. In itself. Uh, broadly, I think healing prayer in the Eucharist is a great way to touch the garment. But specifically thinking about this issue that we're talking about tonight, I've been thinking about over the years of my ministry, how have I seen women healed by the power of Christ? And here's my observation. Take it for what it's worth. It's just what I think I've seen and could be wrong. I think we're in the middle of a shift from the great mother model to the sisterhood model. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, in the early years of my ministry, the way I saw God working very powerfully in the in lives of healing women was through the great mother. 
And by that, I mean just these incredibly gifted women of God that would be raised up in a congregation and then sometimes nationally or something like that. They usually had incredible teaching gifts, uh, incredible shepherding gifts, incredible counseling gifts. And a lot of times they would have kind of a big event or a big Bible study. They would just spend hours pouring into different, uh, uh, usually younger women. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. There were just a few of them. Uh, and that was a, it was a glorious thing. But here's what I've observed, at least in this little corner of the vineyard. I think we're moving away from the great mother model to a sisterhood model. Now, what do I mean by that? Nora Hassel, uh, one of our uh, young moms, uh, I called her up after a Eucharist service, and I uh, actually I wrote her a note, and I apologized to her. Nora has three little kids, couldn't come to church very much on Sunday night. And being the man of God that I am, I was mad at her, and uh, I kept fuming about how can we get Nora to come to church, and why didn't she come to church, and on my darkest days, it was, well, when I was her age, we, got, we just came to church, you know, rah, 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 rah. well, so then I start hearing over and over and over again, women say, you know, I'm in this group that Nora put together, and we go out and we run together, and then we're in a triad, and we share our hearts, and we pray for each other, and incredible healing has happened, and I heard that, I swear, a dozen times, and finally it occurred to me that instead of asking, how can I get Nora to come to church? The better question is, how can I empower Nora to continue to bring the kingdom of God into the world? That's a whole other sermon series too. So anyway, I apologize to Nora. Well, Nora is uh, coming out of the woods of baby number three, and she's starting to step into all of this good stuff again. My point being, now what I'm seeing happen is women are healing each other through Christ when they come together as a sisterhood and it doesn't take a great mother to do it. I love the great mother model, but we don't have many. And I, I'm not sure it's fair to the great mother. Uh, I'm, I'm not really sure it's what God intended. I think it kind of wears the great mother out. And one of the things that, uh, that I want to challenge you sisters and daughters, stop waiting for the great mother. I don't think she's coming. I think you in Christ have the capacity to heal each other, to help one another touch the garment. 